Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Calvary Life DFW's weekly podcast. We hope that these messages encourage and inspire you in your personal journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. He wanted me to speak on, um, and it's been over the last couple weeks just sort of like a marinating of of the message and God just kind of dealing with me in a couple of different areas of my life. Does God deal with you or, or are you above that? Are you, have you outgrown that? So God is just dealing with me on a few different things and um, I'm kind of give you the backdrop of this message. So, you know, we started the fast in January and has anyone ever been praying and you said something that surprised you? Like you're praying and you're in the heart of prayer and something comes out of your mouth and you're like, where did that come from? What is it? What is that? And so I was praying at the beginning of the fast and I said something that shocked me. I said, Lord, I feel like you're not fathering me. Yeah, I, I got that relationship with God. I can say those things to him. Okay. He says some things back to me to deal with me, but I, I can say that stuff to God. And so I said, God, I feel like you're not bothering me. And then I went on the fast. And so we went on 21 days of, of fast, and I came out of the fast, and I heard the Lord say, go study sonship. Go study sonship. Study what it means to be a son. So I want to read a couple of verses. Colossians 3, verse 1. Therefore, if you've been risen with Christ, keep seeking things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Someone say, at the right hand of God. That's Colossians 3, 1. And you can just jot these down if you want. I encourage you to go and read these on your own in your own time after service or during the week. But Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 I'm going to back up a little bit. Verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened, that you would know what is the hope of his calling and the riches of his glory and his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us that believe. These are some amazing verses. The surpassing greatness of his power towards us. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. In heavenly places. And skip over to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. They're also going to put it on the board. Hebrews 1, 3. And he is the radiance of the glory and the exact representation of his nature. Talking about Jesus talking about God. He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And then skip down to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. We'll go to verse 1. Therefore, since we have... Since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the author and the perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus, Savior, King, Lord, is also Son. And the Bible tells us that after he walked the earth sinless and was crucified for our sins, paid our debt, his blood was shed for our sins, that even the sins that you did last night, he paid for those, the ones that you, that you run from, hide from, don't tell others about, he paid for those. Jesus, after he did that, after he was crucified, after he suffered and died and rose from dead, he rose from the dead and he sat down at the right hand of his Father in heaven. In fact, it tells us right now, the word tells us that he's there right now praying for you. That the king of the universe died for you, raised for you, went to heaven for you, sat down next to his father and is praying for you. He's praying for you. When we're we're blaspheming him, he's praying for us. When we're mocking him, he's praying for us. When we're making light of spiritual things, he's praying for us. Not getting offended, not throwing fire from from heaven or lightning to try and strike you down. He's saying, dear father, I hope that they get it. I hope, Jesus, God, I hope that they, I pray, Lord, that they would get the reality of the kingdom, that you are for them and not against them, God, that that, that no weapon formed against them will prosper, God, that, that even what they're doing right now, Lord, that they would see the futility of their ways. And he's praying for you. Even if nobody else is praying for you, Jesus, your Savior, your King, the Son of the Most High God, prays for you. He knows you by name. He's praying for us right now. Praying for you as you leave. He does his best work when I'm sleeping. Praying. That's our Savior. That's our Jesus. That's amazing. Come on, give him some praise. That is amazing. That is amazing. That is Jesus. Praying that you make it. Praying that you pull through. Praying that you you come to the realization that I need to spend some time with God because that's going to change me. His presence is going to change me. Praying that His will unfolds in your life. He's praying for you. So when it seems like the whole world is against you, you have someone praying for you in heaven. And He has favor with the Father. See, that's what at the right hand means. I put these chairs on the left. I should have put them on the right. On the right hand is the place of favor. It's a place of power. It's a place of blessing. That's why he's seated at God's right hand. It's a place of access. And that's where he is, praying for us. Now, much has been made and and discussed and talked about justifiably about the absence of fathers in our society. Um, you know, 90% of runaways are from fatherless homes. That's 32 times the average. And 63% of suicides come from fatherless homes. That's five times the average. And 71% of high school dropouts, they come from a fatherless home. And that's nine times the average. 
There are systemic issues in our society from fatherlessness. From fatherlessness. And I'll tell you this, in some households, it's actually good the father left. Because just because the father is there doesn't mean the father is present. Just because the father's in the house doesn't mean the father's doing, the, doing what he should be doing for the kids. And so fatherlessness sometimes is not the father not being there, it's him not being there. Are you with me? See, we have fatherlessness in our society, but in the church, in the body of Christ, we never have, we're never absent of a father. Do you know that fatherlessness does not exist in the body of Christ? Raise your hand if you have daddy issues. You're all lying. You're all lying. Everybody here has daddy issues. I have daddy issues, and I have an amazing dad. A great dad. Incredible dad. I have daddy issues. Do you know that I'm supposed to have daddy issues? Because if I didn't have daddy issues, then I wouldn't drive me to my father in heaven who's perfect towards me. I would never have a need for my father in heaven if my dad on earth was perfect. And so my dad's issues or my dad's faults, and there weren't many of them, but the ones that had that, that created daddy issues in me, all they did was drive me to my father. See, daddy issues aren't supposed to be a hindrance. They're supposed to be a springboard. A springboard to the perfect father. He's not just a good, good father. He's the greatest father. The one that can father you like no one else can father you. The one who loves you like no one else will love you. He is not absent. He is present. He's a better father invisible than your, than your physical father will ever be on his best day. But here's the problem. Is that yes, there's fatherlessness issues. And on earth, we have a in the body of Christ, we have a great, great Father in heaven. But many of our issues don't come from fatherlessness, but from not being a son. Many of our issues in the body of Christ is not allowing ourselves to be fathered by Him. And so we don't just have father issues because we our father issue has been solved in the body of Christ it's solved what we have is a sonship issue and I'm talking about sons but girl ladies I'm not excluding you so when I say sons I mean guys and girls child children of God we have sonship issues I'm convinced that most of our problems in the body of Christ is because we won't get in daddy's lap and spend time with him We won't take the time to curl up in his lap and just be with him and hear his voice and have him speak to us. And tell you another thing, I'm convinced Jesus didn't die for me because I was a sinner. He died for me because I was son. Sure, my sin put him there, but he died for me because I was a son. I'm favored. I'm blessed. He loved me. He loves me. He loves me now. I'm a son. That's why he died. That's so good. We're sons. We're daughters. We're children of the Most High God. And that is not an empty title. It's not some conceptual or ideological mental ascent that we have to try to 
ascribe to. It is a reality. It is a reality that we walk in divine favor, that the God of heaven and earth is our dad. That is a reality. That is the reality. Are you with me? It's an identity that we walk in. Now, I've noticed a lot of people do not mind receiving Jesus as Savior. And they'll even accept him as king. But receive God as Father? Mm. I don't like fathers. Wow. Fathers are no good. Mm. I had a father. He did this. He did that. And we receive Jesus as Savior, but we have not been reconciled fully to the Father as a son or as a daughter. And so there's issues in our heart, and, and maybe, maybe it's our unwillingness to be fathered, which is the issue. But see, the kingdom, the Bible tells us that the kingdom of God is reserved for children. That anyone who comes to God must come as a child, right? I think some of us are too grown up. Wow. Too grown. Got bills. I pay the mortgage. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Got to be responsible. Like, some of us are too grown up. And I'm saying, like, I like being responsible, but I've also got to have some times where i got to have some fun. My buddy, uh, my buddy Kenyon says this all the time. He goes, sometimes you spell rest, F-U-N. <laughs> sometimes the best rest you could have is fun that you have. Yep, that's are you with me? I forgot how to have fun. I forgot how to We're too grown. <laughs> too mature. I'm above all that. I work at an a, a, a investment company, a, a big investment company, and everyone there is really into themselves. Like, like hey. it's, no, listen, like, we had like a corporate retreat or something. There's like 400 people there. It was like, I'm surprised they fit everybody's head in the room. It was like, <laughs> I was like, whoa, like everyone's wearing the same blue blazer, right? The same dress pants, the same shoes. They're looking at each other, inspecting each other, make sure that everyone looks the same. Well, you, you must not make six figures because you're not wearing the right shoes. Like looking down at other people because of what they, it's just like, some guys work here that go to my company. It's ridiculous. You know what I did? I wore a camo shirt. I laid out two shirts in my bed. It was like seven o'clock in the morning. I'm like, one of these is going to get me ridiculed. And one of these is going to help me to fit in. Ridicule. Hey. <laughs> you know how many comments like, oh, oh I can't see Peter. Oh, I can't see Peter. He's wearing a camo shirt. <laughs> Ultimate dad joke, Bill. Like, it was just like, dude, oh, oh, I can't see Peter. He's wearing a camo. <laughs> like, honestly, everyone there, their name is Brad, Chad, Tad. I don't know how I went there. I don't even know how that happened. But I'm just saying, everyone's too grown. Everyone's too grown. We're too grown. I'm too mature. Right? We've forgotten what it's like to be child, to be a child. To be a son, to be a daughter, to climb in daddy's lap and just have him speak to me, talk to me, make fun of me. Russell around a little. Why don't we have that relationship with God? 
We'll worship Him. We'll receive Him. We'll repent of our sins when we feel, we're feeling really bad about ourselves. But we won't receive the love of the Father. See, that was my prayer this morning, coming this morning as a Lord. I pray, God, that we would receive you as Father, yeah. as Dad, as Daddy. Are you with me? Yes. But we have a responsibility as sons, as daughters, to be willing to be fathered. One of the last verses in the Old Testament says that Elijah would come in the last days and he would turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children back to the fathers. See, it's a two-way thing. And so I, I feel like today in the 21st century we have people who are willing to father to be, to be fathers, but we don't have children who are willing to be fathered. And there's a rebellion that has been sowed into the fabric of the church and everybody's independent. Everybody's independent. That independent thing will trap you in the deception of self-sufficiency. That you can do it by yourself. That you don't need nobody. That you don't need, and, and you will be trapped in that deception of self-sufficiency. You were never created to be self-sufficient. I'm going to tear that lie right out of your mind. You were never created to be self-sufficient. You were created with a deep, inherent need of God as a dad that can't be met anywhere else. We are sons. But what does that entail? Broken families, broken, broken relationships. Sometimes being a father, is, is, we don't even know what a good father is. And so it takes, it takes God some time to teach us what a good father looks like. And we, like, we're so used to being rebellious because we respond to the lack of fatherhood in the home. And so we get angry because our father was a failure. And so we don't know how to be a son or a daughter. But see, this is, a, this, is what a, this is what a son, what it, this is what it means to have a son, to be, to be a biblical son, to be a son of the Most High God. And you can, you can read throughout the Bible, and you can study this Bible, and you will get what I'm about to tell you from Scripture. That as a son, I have provision. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. That's good. He provides for me. He gives me everything I need. The Bible says he gives us all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's a provider. He's a provider. And I can tell you, God has done things for me that I could never do for myself. He has provided for me in ways that on my best day, I would not be able to provide for myself. He's a provider and he's good at it. He's Jehovah Jireh, my provider. He's also a protector. And when you're a son in your home, you have the protection of your father, the protection of your father's home. You have favor. Even when you mess up, Floyd, even when your sons mess up, they still have your favor, don't they? Your unmerited favor. Right? They have an inheritance. They have an inheritance. Some of you are like, I didn't get an inheritance. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> Some inheritances aren't physical, they're spiritual. Yes. And they're better spiritual. Yes, it is. I'd much rather have my spiritual inheritance than any financial inheritance. Come on. 
The last thing I need is another thing keeping me away from the Father's heart. Are you with me? A son is covered. Covered. Protected. Looked after. Shielded. He's covered. Is loved unconditionally. A son or a daughter is loved unconditionally. Without condition. Without needing to earn it. A son has a voice. And his voice has value. He has a seat at the table. You know what that means to have a seat at the table? It means that you always have a place to come home to. You always have a place of significance. You always have a place that's reserved for you where you belong and no one else. A son or a daughter has a seat at the table of God. Other people may not listen to you. God will always listen to you. Your voice has weight in his kingdom. The enemy wants to silence your voice because a voice that's been authorized by God is a dangerous voice. So So he wants you to be quiet. Shh. You're not a son. You're not a daughter. You have nothing to say. Not true. A son also, though, must... Are you with me here? You with me? Is this good? Is this okay? This is wonderful. A son must receive correction. Yeah. (laughs) It's in the Bible. (laughs) Yeah. It says that when God corrects you, he deals deals with you as a son. So you got to endure that mess. With a smile on your face. A son or a daughter endures or receives correction. They're required to obey. I cannot have a relationship with my daughter if she does not obey me. I have taken away about 30 toys in the last two weeks from my oldest because we're learning how to obey. She doesn't like it. I don't care. You will obey. Must honor the father. Yeah, that's a sticky one. Must honor the father and must honor the mother and must honor the other people in the family as well. Yes, come on. That's a separate message. So true. Is given responsibility in family affairs. Yeah. And is tested to see if he can or she can receive more. That's a son. The son, are you with me? Yes, Lord. What's that? Yeah, actually, can we bring the kids there? <laughs> no. no, I'm teaching you so you can go teach them. <laughs> Not stepping in that mess. No. <laughs> so, the Lord uh, challenged me to read the prodigal son. And for the first time, I read the message, and I really looked at some of the language that was being used in the story and what the language revealed about the character. Are you with me? So I want to dive into the prodigal son. It would be interesting that Jesus never called him the prodigal son. We call him the prodigal son. 
We say he's a prodigal. There was an elder and a younger. Jesus never used the word prodigal. It's something that we created. Are you with me? Jesus doesn't put titles in front of sons. He just calls them sons. That'd be freeing. Verse 11. And a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And so he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Give me the portion of your estate that falls to me. Give me the portion of the estate that falls to me. And then he received his inheritance and he left the Father's presence because when you are obsessed with yourself, it will always drive you away from the Father's presence. Some of you are like, well, that ain't me. I would never do that. Yeah, but you haven't received what you've been praying for yet. I can't tell you how many times over the years, Lord, I just want a spouse. I just want a girlfriend. I just want a boyfriend. I just want a spouse. Lord, give me a spouse. And then they find someone and they're gone. Where'd they go? Where'd who go? They're gone. And notice I said they find someone. Because God will never give you someone who will drive you away from him. Or, God, I just needed to get out of debt. God, I just need to get out of debt. God, I just need to get. And then they get out of debt and they're gone. Because it was never about being in a relationship with the Father, it was about getting the Father's stuff. Are you with me? You know what's amazing about the story is that we don't know really what happened between the Father and the Son. Like, we assume that he was just a spoiled brat. And he probably was. But we don't know if there was an argument, a disagreement. A fight, something that triggered the son to get his stuff and leave. We don't know what happened, right? All we know is that whatever happened, it drove him to want to leave the father. See, it's possible to be in disagreement and not disunity. It's possible to have a disagreement but not cause it to cause division. And so something happened with the immaturity of the younger son. He said, you know what? I want what I want and I want it now. And then he got it and he left. He didn't tell the father he was going to leave, but when he got it, he left. Wow. Are you with me? See, you can't be in God and in self. You have to crucify self. You can't serve God and then serve yourself. And so what happens so often is that when people want to serve their own wants or their own needs, it causes them to leave the presence of God. Because they believe that they'll never get what they want when they want it in God's presence. Are you with me? So the younger son was seating, was sit, sitting in the seat of entitlement. I want what I want. I deserve it. It's mine. You said you were going to give it to me. I want this now. And he was all about his desires. He didn't care about the father. He cared about getting what he wanted. And that he was sitting in the seat of entitlement. And you know, the seat of entitlement, I realize, is the most uncomfortable seat that you can sit in because you're never content. Wow. It's uncomfortable. You've got to adjust every once in a while because it's wooden. It hurts. And so he felt entitled. Never mind 
that anything he ever had in his life, the breath in his lungs, the lifeblood in his veins came from the Father. That everything that he had, he had because of the Father. Never mind any of that. He found out he had an inheritance. I want that inheritance. I want that. That sounds good. That sounds good. And so he sat himself in the seat, the seat of entitlement. See, sometimes God doesn't give us what we want because he knows he'll lose us in the process. Sometimes God doesn't give us what we're praying for because he knows he will lose us in the process. And so in his mercy, he says, no. No. Sometimes my daughters ask me for things that I know they cannot handle and I have to say no. And they melt down. Every time. And my wife said, amen. I deserve this. I'm owed this, and I want it now. See, for him, it was all about entitlement. Entitlement's a soul-sucking disease, isn't it? Entitlement destroys gratitude. It clouds vision. It takes the wonder and the joy out of the process. Entitlement will blind you to the value that you already have in your life. It will blind you to the value that's already in your life. The prodigal felt entitled and it drove him away from the father. See, he thought, my inheritance is most valuable. But what he didn't realize is that the father was most valuable. The presence of his father. And so he wasted his substance because when it's about you, it never really works out, does it? When it's about you, you'll accept a lifestyle that doesn't fit with your identity. When it's about you, you'll accept a lifestyle that doesn't fit with your identity. And then it says that he remembers the goodness of his father. He remembers that in his father's house, when after he wasted all of the substance and he was eating the stuff that pigs eat and he was, he was having like all types of uh, if you, you read the story, he was feeding pigs and he was hungry and then he remembered. The Bible says he actually, he came to himself. Some people believe that he was actually possessed and he actually just got delivered and he came to himself and he said, in my father's house, servants eat better than I do and I'm doing this? And then what he does is he plans to go back to his father and he plans it out and he says, you know what, I'm going to go back to my father but I, all I want to do is I just want to repent. I just want to be in his house. I just want to be with him and in his favor. He didn't go back to his father with an agenda. He didn't go back to his father with a plan. He didn't go back to his father wanting something. He went back to his father just truly to repent. He goes, I'll just be a servant. And then we see the heart of the father. Because the Bible says the father saw him a long way off. Do you know that God sees us a long way off? Do you know that in God's eyes we're actually not very far off? That we're only one word away from being reconciled to him? And so the, the son comes back to the house and he goes, son, I just want to be a servant in your house, God. I just want to be a servant in your house, Father. And the Bible says that the father put on him the choicest robe. Come on. Come on. He comes back. 
And he goes, I just want to be a servant. You with me? You good? Yeah? Are you nervous? I promise I won't hurt you. All right. And he comes back and he puts on the choicest robe. Now, this wasn't some ordinary robe. This robe symbolized royalty. This was the best robe. It was the robe of righteousness. It was the blood of Jesus. And what he was saying was, I don't care what happened in the past, son. It's covered now. You're royalty. It does not take Jesus as long to forgive us as it takes us to forgive other people. Ouch! And then, I touch your hand. He puts a ring on his finger. I'm not going to put my wedding ring on you. That's just weird. He puts a ring on his finger. And that ring symbolizes covenant. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. You're mine. We're back in relationship. No contingencies. I love you. Then, he takes off his shoes and he puts sandals on his feet. Now, we think that that's significant or that's insignificant, but you see, in those days, servants and slaves didn't wear shoes. Only sons did. So what the father was saying was that, I won't accept you as a servant. I'll never accept you as just a servant. You're my son. And he put sandals on his feet as if nothing happened because he's a father thank you man give him a hand clap he's a good father but as we read the story and i know some of you have read this story before so i don't want to read the entire thing but what happens is, is that the father throws a party for the son because god likes to get down proper contrary to popular opinion god actually likes to have fun And so he throws a party for the younger son. And the elder hears the music. He sees the smoke from the fatted calf that was killed. And he asks his servants, because the son had servants, he goes, what's going on? And the servants come and say, well, your your brother is home and your father is throwing a party for him. And the Bible says that the elder son got mad. He was angry. So let me break this down for a second. The elder son was angry about something the father was excited about. What the el- Stay with me. The elder son was angry about something the father was joyful about. You see, it's possible to be in the father's house but not have the father's heart. It's possible to serve in church and come to church but not be passionate about the things that warms your father's heart. And so the elder son, at some point in his journey, became bitter and angry about his positioning as a son. And we got to look and read what he said. Listen to this. And he said, and the father asked him, why are you angry? And he goes, and he said to him, he goes, look, For many years I've been serving you, and I've never neglected your commandment, and yet you never gave me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. I can just hear him saying that. You never let me celebrate with my friends. 
And all the teenage, teenage parents said, yeah. <laughs> but when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed a fatted calf for him. So he said, this son of yours. But he was a son too. Yes, he was. But in his mind, he had separated himself relationally with the father. And so he never saw himself as a son. He only saw himself as a servant who was owed a wage. Instead of being a son working, for an working with an inheritance, he became a servant working for a wage. And he saw his father as an end to the means. You see, the younger son left the father physically, but the elder son left the father spiritually and emotionally and mentally. So he was in church, but he was not of church. He was in worship service, but he could care less. Because he was not about with a father, he was about himself. At some point, something happened in the elder son that caused him to see himself as less than a son. As just a servant. I don't know what happened. But he left. And that's the definition of religion. The definition of religion going through the motions just because you want to earn something. My, um, and listen to what he said. He said, I, I served you for years. I didn't neglect any of your commandments. I've been faithful. My, 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 my buddy Kenyon's here. He said this. He said, when we were talking about this, he goes, the younger son was obsessed with his own will, but the elder son was obsessed with his own works. Are you with me? You see, the elder son, he chose... The victim seat. And so he sat in that big, comfy victim seat because when you're a victim, it feels good. Doesn't it? I'm not getting up from this seat. Give me some grapes. When you're a victim, it feels good. They did this to me. I've been doing this my whole life. They're not respecting me. They're not seeing my value. Blah, 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 blah. And he sat in the victim seat. And here's what I've realized, is that I can't be a victim and a son. I have to choose one or the other. Because if I'm a son and an heir of God, as the Bible says, that there's no possible way on heaven and earth that I can act like a victim. Because I have everything that I'll ever need in life and more because of my relationship to the Father. So if I sit in this victim seat, I can't have a relationship with him. Can't walk with him. But it feels so good. I'm going to take a nap there. But I can't be my father's son because I'm too busy being a victim. We don't realize that sometimes the circumstances and the conditions in our life that break us are there to bring us closer to the father who will heal us and make us whole. Are you with me? Yes. He goes, you never gave me a calf. So I can celebrate with my friends. You know, it occurred to me, I don't think he ever asked. That's so good. Because the Bible says you have not because you ask, ask and you shall 
And if the son asks for bread, will he give him a... No. And this is what the father says. Listen, to, it's so revealing what the father says in verse 31 of Luke 15. Son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. The father never changed his opinion of the son. The father never changed. The sons did. The sons did. He's like, I don't understand, son. All of this is yours. All of this is yours. You could ask me and I would have given it to you. Are you with me? Oh, boy. Is this good? The victim seat blames God for what has gone wrong in their life. It refuses to move on until it's vindicated. It feels owed for what they have done. They're serving for instead of serving because. The Father, you are ever with me. See, it's clear that the Father had a very different view of the Son than the Son had of Himself. Are you with me? It says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. We change. It's our mentality at times. It's our perceptions. It's our ignorance of the Father and His ways that sometimes limit us from experiencing and walking in the goodness of our Father. Because see, there's a third seat. And this is the sonship seat. This is the sonship seat. And this seat is content just to be with the Father. I'm so grateful I have a dad. I'm so grateful I have a Father in heaven who loves me. He forgives me every time I mess up. He has plans for me. He'll give me way more than I can ever give myself. He's for me. He loves me. He knows my name. The son seat doesn't want anything from the dad. He has an abundance, but he just wants to be with the father. Are you with me? The Bible says that you know, we're transformed by the changing of our circumstances. Uh, no, no, it says we're transformed by the answers to our prayers. No, it says, it says that we're transformed when our dreams come true, right? No. It says that we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. Not the changing of our circumstances, but the renewing of our minds that I am a child of God. That I have a Father who loves me and just wants to spend time with me. And that relationship heals me. That relationship changes me. It's not some consensual ascent that I make. It's a reality that I live in. That wherever I go, I don't have to be intimidated by man because I walk with the Father. That's my reality. That's who we are. That's who you are. You're not the, you're not the tail. You're the head. You're the head because of where you sit. Seated in heavenly places with Christ. That's what it says in Ephesians 2.6 that God raised us up 
And He seated us with Him in heavenly places. We're seated with Jesus next to the Father in heaven. That's where we're seated. That's where we're seated. That's where you're positioned. That's your reality. Now, I'll confess to you that as I read that story, I have been both the younger and the elder. I've been, I've been obsessed with what was in it for me. And I've been obsessed with what I did to earn something. But recently, the last couple years, couple months, I just want to be with my father. I'm getting to this place where I just want to be where he is. And if he is not there, I do not want to be there. I just want to be with my dad. And his presence is fullness of joy. The father was looking for sons who were content just to be with the father. Content to be where the father was. They weren't concerned about the father's stuff. And they weren't concerned or wrapped up in their own works and their own gifting and their own ability. They just wanted to be with the father and about the father's business. We hope this message was impactful to you. If you would like to hear more, please remember to subscribe. For more information, you can visit our pages on both Facebook and Instagram. God bless you and have a great rest of the week.